Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you probably know that Athletic Brewing Company is my absolute favorite non-alcoholic beer. For me, finding an incredible non-alcoholic beer to drink around the fire pit or at a dinner was a game changer in sobriety. And I love Athletic so much that I became a brand ambassador so that I could share the love. You can save 20% with code KCD20 on your first order of Athletic at their website. Now, they are not sponsoring this ad, but I wanted to share this discount if you wanted to try it out. So my personal favorites are their Golden Upside Dawn and their Run Wild IPA, but I want to hear what your favorites are. Just go to Athletic brewing.com and enter the code KCD20 at checkout. That's C-A-S-E-Y-D-2-0 and you'll save 20% on your first order. Hi there. Today we are talking about boundaries and how to become a boundary boss. You may know my guest. Her name is Terry Cole. She's a licensed psychotherapist, a global relationship and empowerment expert, and the author of Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. For over two decades, Terry has worked with a diverse group of clients that includes everyone from stay-at-home moms to celebrities and Fortune 500 CEOs. She is a gift for making complex psychological concepts accessible and actionable so that clients and students achieve sustainable change. And Terry, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to be here. Yeah, I'm a big fan of your podcast and, you know, have had you recommended to me by some of the women I work with as someone I should talk to. And I know boundaries are a big challenge for a lot of women who you know, are busy and then are sort of drinking in order to manage their stress, suppress the things they're angry about, you know, if they're people pleasers, kind of to soothe their nerves if they're not that comfortable, setting down boundaries with their partner, their boss, their colleagues, even their children. Yeah. 
that you you are my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so tell us a little bit about the work you do. And I did want to mention that you also are sober, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I am for decades, for a very long time. I mean, I stopped drinking when I was twenty one. I think oh, amazing. I did a lot of drinking though between twelve and twenty one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but I I stopped early. So where do you want me to start? Well. One of the things that you talk about a lot is breaking free from over-functioning, over-delivering, and people-pleasing, and ignoring your own needs. And I feel like that is almost every woman I know. So let's talk about that. So let's establish right now for the purposes of our conversation and the way that I wrote it in the book and the way I teach it in my courses is what are boundaries? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to say my definition of it. I want you to think about them as your own personal rules of engagement, letting other people know what's okay with you and what is not okay with you. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds simple and it is simple, but that doesn't make it easy, right? It, it's simple because it isn't just about knowing your boundaries, right? What's okay with you, what's not okay with you. It's about having the ability to communicate them clearly. And your boundaries are comprised of your preferences, your limits, and your deal breakers, like your non-negotiables. And again, we cannot communicate those things until we know those things. And if you are, you know, running, you know, I call my clients like the masters of the universe because they are the super high functioning, Mm -hmm. um, getting it done, running all the things, doing all the things for all the people. But when people end up on my couch, They've been doing it at the expense of themselves for so long that something has to give. Like you can't do it like that forever. You really can't. And when you're in your twenties, you really think you're going to be able to, but you can't. Like we will run out of bandwidth. So from disordered boundaries and from writing this book and from having a therapy practice for 25 years, I would have these very high functioning women in my practice. And if I brought up codependency and said, oh, hey, you know what you're describing as a codependent dynamic. They'd be like, no, 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 lady, you don't understand. I'm not dependent on squat. Everyone's dependent on me. Right. I'm making all the dough. I'm doing all the things for other people. I'm the rock in my family of origin and in my friend group and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh, my clients don't know what codependency is. This is what the problem is. Because here's the reason why they balked at codependency. And I would have too in my 20s is because there's this old school idea that codependency is Melody Baby, codependent no more, enabling an addict, Mm -hmm. la la la. And yeah, that is codependency. But it's so much more than that to the point that, and I'll I'll talk about high-functioning codependency and my definition of codependency, but from this book and from the questions that so many women from all over the world have asked me, I am writing my next book right now called High Functioning Codependency about this because it is such a talk about a pandemic and oh epidemic. Gosh. I am so excited to read that book because, you know, I completely agree. You know, when I was working and drinking and living and, you know, I would be like, no, absolutely. I'm not codependent at all. And in the same way, I felt like I couldn't or didn't make any boundaries or decisions for myself. Right. Just picking up the slack all over town. So what does codependency look like? Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, It's basically being overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the circumstances, the situations of the people 
in our lives. Yeah. To the detriment, though, of our own internal peace or our financial or physical, spiritual, emotional well-being. Because here's the thing. We're all lovers, right? We're all mothers. We are the caregiving people. I mean, this is what we were raised to do. So, of course, we're invested in the happiness of the people we love. But if it's to the degree that another person's suffering becomes your suffering. Yeah. Like you really have to check your urgency when your best friend calls and is like, oh my God, here's the crisis. Are you supporting her in a healthy way? Like, what do you think you should do? What does your gut instinct say? Helping that person in a healthy way come to their own answers. Or are you like, I know someone at Sloan Kettering, I'm making a phone call. I've emailed you. I just sent you 55 links. I've got a book. I underline like, how quickly does that person's crisis literally and actually become your own crisis? Yeah. And that's when we know we're relating in a codependent way. So why is this the way it is, right? Why are we the way we are? Why don't we know squat about boundaries, even though we are so strong and so smart and so incredibly capable? And the answer is really simple. Literally nobody taught us. Like we learned the opposite of that. Most of us were raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependents. Yeah. Really. Right. Be a good girl. Be nice. Turn that frown around. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Where's my happy girl? All of these things. Just, we were groomed to be way more um, dialed into the feeling states and the desires of others. So it starts with the adults in our lives. Mm-hmm. Where like, I don't know, listen, I felt like I had, I had a fine upbringing, right? You know, my father was a high functioning alcoholic. My mother is an enabler, but there wasn't like any massive abuse or anything, but it doesn't matter. I was still trained to be a good girl. Yeah. I was trained to achieve. Don't get in trouble. Don't be a big mouth. Don't be a drama queen. All of those things. And it was way, it was super important what other people thought of me. Yeah. That others perceived me as being nice, right? In quotes, because of course, what, what we were really being taught to do is lie. We were taught to say yes when we wanted to say no under the guise of being nice, the umbrella of being nice. And you spend a lifetime doing that and you end up drinking (laughs) and you end up pissed and you end up frustrated and feeling used and abused by everyone. But it's really kind of a setup and we can change that, you know? Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, 
M-A-M-M-O-T-H dot com and use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. I was so surprised and amazed when you said the word groomed because that was something that sort of lit up a light bulb in me. I have never thought of it that way. I mean, when you think of grooming, it's, you know, sort of sexual assault or or something with children. And yet when you said it, of course, we've been groomed to please others, be helpful to others. That's how you get your love. That's how you get approval. And honestly, like that's how you get straight A's in school and you get promoted and you make money and are seen as a good mother. Yeah. It's when you said that, I was like, wow. Yeah. And, and it's, here's the thing. It's, it's tragic, right? In some ways I've had women come into my therapy practice in their sixth or seventh decade of life being like, Hey, I've done it all. I have money in the bank. I still like my spouse. Kids all went to Ivy league schools. Uh, you know, I go to soul cycle three times a week. I'm on all these boards, you know, I'm volunteering. I'm doing what I want to do. Why do I feel so empty? Yes. And I'm yes. like, uh, cause nobody friggin' knows you. Because you built your life checking boxes that somebody else constructed. Yeah. And you know what's interesting is when you said that about taking care of other people. I mean, I talk to women all the time who are amazing and incredible and sort of at the top of their game. They're doctors, they're head of networks, they're CEOs. And they, you know, I'm trying to help them stop drinking. And so I'm saying Mm -hmm. you need to lower the bar. You need to take care of yourself. You need to prioritize your own needs, find other coping mechanisms that aren't your easy button of a bottle of wine. And they're like, I can't. The people who report to me are working so hard. My child is having anxiety in school. My partner X, my patients, you know, I can't take on fewer patients. And they are so high achieving and yet they're unhappy. Right. And here's the thing though, Case, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And the real thing to, to look at is it's, it's short sighted and we also stay the way we are because it's what we know. And when you're a high, high achieving woman, you really do not want to be doing anything you're not masterful at. Yeah. Right. We don't like it. We want to know what we're doing and we want success to be assured. Like if I take this on, I'm going to successfully do it. And I think that it's a real gift to give yourself the space of learning. And if you look at becoming literate in boundaries, because that it changes your entire life for the better. I want you to think about it like uh, learning a new language. You wouldn't feel bad about yourself if you weren't just suddenly, you know, fluent in French because you really wanted to be. You would know, oh, I need a teacher. Yeah. I need a step-by-step guide. I need to start at least learning the language. I need to understand because the way that I teach this with becoming a boundary boss, there is no one size fits all when it comes to boundaries. We're all so different. There, I, I created this really amazing free quiz which can help you get your boundary archetype. Like when your boundaries are disordered, how does it express itself in your life? And your answers to these 13 questions will tell you if you're more of a powerhouse, where when you're out of balance, you're sort of running people over, getting it done, but being a little brusque about it. Or if you're more like a peacekeeper, 
or a chameleon where you're just avoiding conflict at all costs that people can take it at boundaryquiz.com. That's literally it, boundaryquiz.com. It's important though that we know those things about ourselves because no, everyone is so different. Your boundary blueprint, I call it my boundary blueprint. This is an unconscious paradigm of what we learned. So it's yes, family of origin, yes, modeled behavior. It's also where were you in the family lineup? Were you the hero child? Were you the scapegoat? Were you right? So that comes into play as well. What country, what culture, what societal things did you learn about how you're supposed to be? in life and in the world. And even in the US, we could look at like how it is in the South compared to how it is in the North, let's say. There's major cultural differences. And I wrote about this in the book where in the South, they've gotten passive aggressive communication to like a literal science. Like bless your heart. (laughs) That's what I was just going to say. When they want to say someone is a friggin' hot mess or an idiot or a jerk, they're like, bless his heart. You're like, you're not blessing anyone. That is code for he's an idiot or she's an idiot. Yeah. So the bottom line is we we need to express ourselves. But before you can learn how to start establishing healthy boundaries, right, which means sharing your preferences, your limits, and your deal breakers, which are unique to you, right? My preferences are not yours. My limits are not yours. My deal breakers are not yours. But we all have a right to them. Before you can do any of that, you have to understand that you have a million and seven good reasons to be relating to boundaries the way that you are right now. The difficulty that you're having, you know, there's, there's like a red thread that connects us to all of the women who came before us. Mm. Think about it. A hundred and something years ago, only women were property, property of their husbands. Women couldn't vote here a hundred years ago. I mean, it just happened. Right. You're not kidding. And then think about women of color. And it was like five times as horrible for them than it was for white women. But think about that and how how not long ago that really was. So my point is not to say stay here. My point is to don't put your high standards of how you can figure out anything. And I know all of you can and do every single day of your life and your career this is not one of those things. And this is when you're learning it, it's not something to like plow through. Mm-hmm. It's give yourself the gift of actually step-by-step step. in the book. I walk you through it. It's not a book where you can pick it up and be like, I'm going to get inspired and go to page 150. No, do it. Cool. It goes in order because everything you learn builds on to the next, builds up to the next. Because when we change in our relationship, especially long-term relationships, because this is where people feel a lot of pushback. Yeah. And then so many times people are like, how can I establish healthy boundaries with no conflict? I'm like, I do not know. (laughs) (laughs) I do not think that's possible. And it's how we relate to conflict. Why is conflict a crime? It's not. Why is getting some pushback from someone who's like, I can't believe you won't wash my clothes anymore, whatever it is, right? I don't know who you are now. You're learning all these things. You're not the person I married or you're not the sister I know or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, because here's the thing with overgivers. We're overfunctioners, overgivers, doing way more than our share most of the time. Emotional labor, forget it. No one in our sphere is doing any. We're doing it all. Yeah. And 
givers are going to attract takers. And if you don't attract a taker, you could literally turn a perfectly functioning human into an underfunctioner. Because so much of the time we're like, Ugh, they're not going to do it fast enough. They're not going to do it the way I want it done. I'm better at it. I'm capable. Uh-huh. It, sh- it needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was talking to my mother years ago when I was living with a, a boyfriend in my early twenties and I was complaining about that he didn't know how to vacuum and he kept burning the garlic. He didn't have a brown garlic. He didn't understand to do it on a low flame or whatever it was. And she was like, Tara, your father never touched a vacuum in his life and never cooked, not even boiled water. She's like, you know, if you need everything done the way you want it done, you'll end up like me doing it all alone. So it'll be done right, but you'll be the only one doing it. So how about be grateful that your person wants to friggin' vacuum and brown garlic and cook or whatever it is that he's doing. But that really struck me as true and that I didn't want to end up doing it. All. And it took many more years in therapy for me to stop doing it all. But yes. Yeah. I mean, when you're saying that, I, I want to take the quiz and I want to ask you which, you know, which one you were, because as I'm thinking about myself, like, there's your family of origin, right? You know, most mm-hmm. people pleasers probably stand start as parent pleasers. But then you go on in your life, and you pick your friends and you pick your partner and you pick your bosses. And my husband used to tell me didn't matter if my boss was a man or a woman. Like I had a daddy complex with every boss I ever had, I wanted that pat on the head. And the worst thing I could imagine is them being disappointed in me, Mm -hmm. which is a really weird dynamic for a value exchange of I'm doing this job for you and you are paying me for my time and my (laughs) expertise, you know? Right. But, but what you're talking about is so common. It's so common that I actually have a strategy that is super quick for people to identify, it's called having a transference, mm. where you're having a transference. And I had a very similar experience case where I was working at an internship while I was becoming a psychotherapist. And I had this boss there and it was a drug treatment clinic. And he was this kind of famous guy, wrote a bunch of books about cocaine addiction, blah, blah. And I would go into my therapist and be like, oh, Dr. Washington's a friggin' jerk. I don't like him at all. He's so cold. He's so judgmental. He's so withholding, like all this stuff. And she's like, dude, you've been there like two weeks. You really know all of those things about him. And I'm describing him to her. Oh yeah. You know, the type tall Brooks brother suit wearing wall street journal, reading martini, drinking golfs on the weekends. You know, the type <laughs> that she was like, Tara, could, do you want to describe him again? And then think about who else that actually describes, because I, it was really impacting my work at the clinic, yeah. because I was so afraid of this guy. Although I barely interacted with him, I would like dive into the ladies room to avoid him in the hallway. If he was in a meeting, I didn't say a word. And she was like, dude, you got to figure this out because how is he going to see how smart you are Yeah, if you don't ever talk in front of him? And anyway, she helped me see that I was having a transference to my own father, as yeah. you were kind of sharing before who was that Brooks brother suit wearing, you know, mad men, martini drinking, blah, blah, blah. And that inspired me to create this tool. So if you find yourself in a repeated situation, case like you shared, 
right? That you always have a boss that you're always trying to please and feeling like it's so painful if you don't get that approval. Yeah. These are the three questions and I call them the three cues for clarity. And it's, who does this person remind me of? Hmm. Where have I felt like this before? And how or why is this behavioral dynamic, the way we're interacting, how is that familiar to me? And if that doesn't sort of provoke the answer, there's one fourth one that I tell people to use, which is to say, when I'm interacting with this person, metaphorically, who do I become and who do they become? Yeah. And if I had known to ask that question, I would have very clearly been like, oh, I become my 10-year-old self who's terrified of my father and my boss becomes my father. But the thing is, as you said, your boss is not your father or your punitive or disapproving or withholding parent, or mine was very emotionally unavailable. And it is so dysfunctional and um, unhelpful for our careers and our self-esteem and all of those things. So if you just keep those questions in your back pocket, and how you can tell if you're having this kind of a transference is that you will have an amplified response to something. Like it's not your grown up self responding. It's, it's like bigger. Like my fear yeah. of this guy who I barely knew was not commensurate to the situation or didn't, didn't make sense. Yeah. Right. He, it was an internship and he was like the boss there. That was it. Like there was nothing he could really do to me. And my big response and talking about him in therapy three weeks in a row mm-hmm. made me go, you know, my therapist was like, this is too much feeling for someone you don't love. Yeah. You know, what's interesting after I quit drinking and I was kind of pissed that just getting rid of the alcohol did not solve every problem in my life, right? You get rid of it and all of a sudden all these emotions come up and you're like, oh my God, my favorite coping mechanism is gone. But Mm -hmm. I had a big sort of anxiety panic attack and finally went to therapy for the first time where I wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, had that out of my system And my therapist, same thing. She said, you are having an outsized emotional reaction to the situation and the trigger. Like the trigger is X and your emotional reaction is way up here. And we did EMDR and it was kind of amazing for me to go back and be like, and when have you felt this before? And when have you felt this before? And somehow it goes back to like sixth grade when I got on the wrong damn bus and ended up at the end of the line. Like something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. It makes such a difference though, because what ends up happening when we can identify where we're having a transference and get to the root of it, this is basically an injury from an earlier time in your life, right? This is what a transference basically is, is that current time, a situation currently, something about it is reminding you of a past injury that is still activated in some way. Because if it wasn't, you wouldn't be having the transference. It's like your body gets into high alert, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, because you're like, oh, I've been here before. This is scary. Or something bad is going to happen, or I'm going to be in trouble. It's like a child's thought that you'll have. But when we go back and tend to those injuries, write about them, journal, get into therapy, whatever it is you want to do, or I walk you through it in the book, it's no longer activated. When I, it took me that, that one session in therapy, when I realized that that guy wasn't my father and what was going on, I no longer 
had that transference to him. I started being my normal, friendly self to him. I ended up getting a job there after my internship was over. Like, because she was saying, if you never talk in front of him, you're not going to get a job there when you're done. And these are real world consequences for having this disordered emotional stuff. But let's bring it to the drinking. Yeah. Because there's been so much, um, especially with the pandemic, I would notice with my clients, and this is another sort of a strategy that I feel like anybody listening to this can use, is understanding like, why am I doing what I'm doing? When it's self-sabotaging, when it's counter to what I say I want. But there's still a reason that we're doing it, right? Because we are very adaptive as humans. It is doing something for us. So anyway, I had a client who was really bummed out during the pandemic. In the beginning, it was fine. She's like, oh my God, Terry, I'm drinking every night. But I had a history with her. She did not have a history of addiction. A lot of people will have circumstantial addictive behaviors that don't necessarily are not indicative of being an alcoholic, let's say, right? You know, you're using it as a crutch. And she was kind of talking about it like she was using it as a crutch. And I was like, fine. But then she's like, listen, I really don't want to be drinking three big girl glasses of wine a night. Can you hold me accountable? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, sure. So, you know, first week, she's like, I'm not going to drink during the week, just on the weekends. I was like, okay. So she came in and she was like, oh, I'm such a loser. Like I made it to Tuesday and then I drank on Wednesday. I was like, all right, well, you're not a loser. Let's talk about it. Next week, same thing. She's like, I didn't even make it to Wednesday. She's like, I made it one night this week. Mm-hmm. And then the next week when she came in, I was like, you know what? I think we're focusing on the wrong stuff. So let's talk about secondary gain. Let's talk about, I want you to answer this question. What do you get to not face, not feel, or not experience by staying stuck in this behavior? So by drinking every night when you say you don't want to. And immediately she said, I get to not face the state of my marriage. I was like, well, then we should definitely be talking about the state of your marriage and not making you wrong, beating yourself up. It's like this distraction. It's almost like we're lighting a fire over here because the real issue is so threatening and so scary. And we're like, why do I keep getting burned? You're like, "Uh, put down the matches and let's focus on what it is. So those secondary gain questions are, and and you can use this for anything, mm-hmm. any repeated action that you're doing in your life, you say, like, tomorrow I'm going to work out more, but then you don't, right? Or And you keep doing that to yourself. Or you're like, I'm not going to go back to this terrible relationship, but then you keep doing it. Moving into answering that que- those questions, what do I get to not face, not feel, not experience? By staying stuck here, you might be really shocked like my client was, as to the real issue, a lot of times will just come into your mind or, or write it down, right? It might You might be journaling about it. And then you know where to put your energy. Yes. Like, oh, this is what I'm afraid of, or this is the conversation I don't want to have. So now I can beat myself up. I can eat at night or do whatever the things are that, that you're doing. But ultimately, you really do want to figure that out. So I feel like with the drinking stuff, like you're saying, a lot of women in your crew overfunction, overgive, overdo, masters of the universe, and then use alcohol yeah. to self soothe, to numb. I used to say when I was still drinking, it's the only time that I can exhale. Yeah. You know, like I felt like, and it was like an instantaneous 
relaxation that I could never, this is long before I had a meditation practice and all these other things, of course, that support me exhaling without booze, but I, I didn't know how to do it. And it was so addictive. And I was such, I mean, came from a very addictive family. So it high functioning, albeit, but it doesn't matter. I mean, because the reality is it's yeah. still, you're still numbing your feelings. So in the book I write about, and I talk about um, shadow addictions, right? That's what I call it because not everyone has an addiction that's so obvious. These are almost like socially sanctioned addictions. And because we're so friggin' high functioning, people are like, she's fine. Even when I stopped drinking, so many people were like, you're not an alcoholic. What are you talking about? And I was like, why the hell do you care? Of course, it was all my alky friends who really didn't yeah. want me to stop. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you're no fun anymore. I'm like, okay, trust me. Blacking out, not fun, by the way. P.S. Wondering what I did, having to have someone else where I'd be like, I remember until we were at the diner. They're like, yeah, and we were out for four more hours. I'm like, okay, so can somebody fill me in? Like, what happened in those Oh, my God. Hours? When I was in my 20s, I was throwing a bile on the bathroom floor for like six hours before work. Not fun. You know? <laughs> You're like, maybe it was food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Not when it happens often. You know? Exactly. Not food poisoning. But the shadow addictions Again, they they disproportionately impact um, high functioning codependent women because we make it look easy. You know, I always say, and maybe your crowd is old enough to understand this, but high functioning codependents were like uh, you know Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, mm -hmm. but like Ginger Rogers did everything Fred Astaire did, except she did it backwards and in heels. That's yes, us. I love that. We literally line. do yeah. it backwards and in heels. And yet, ultimately, obviously, for many in your community, drinking less or stopping drinking is really what you know is right for you to do. And I didn't, I mean, listen, who wants to stop? I didn't want to. I was still, I was so young. Nobody wants I, to stop. No, no. We don't want to because we no. loved it and it was fun. But my therapist at the time, and this is, I don't even know, in the late 80s probably, she was like, um, hey, what you're describing is alcoholic behavior. And I was a senior in college at the time. Yeah. And she said, um, and if you don't seek help in a 12-step program, I'm going to stop seeing you. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute. Is my therapist breaking up with me? Like, are you even allowed to do that? And I remember going to my first meeting in Syosset, Long Island, in the basement, mm. of course, of a church, because that's where it always was. And I didn't know anything about it. I was like, is this like a cult? Because my family were big drinkers. Like there was nobody was in recovery in my family, although they all should have been. And so I sat near the door being like, maybe if I need to make a run for it, like I'll just sit close to this door, smoking my Parliament 100s considerately. Because do you remember how everyone used to smoke back then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. And this shellacked woman, because it was the 80s and wow, I thought she was gorgeous, like big hair and all the makeup. She came over and she was like, oh, are you new? And I was like, oh, God. Yes. Like, I don't even know what to say. And she said, what brings you here? And I said, um, basically, my therapist <laughs> told me if I didn't go yeah. to at least one 12-step program, she'd break up with me. And she was like, oh. And I didn't know the protocol or like, what it, what is the thing to do? So I just said, what brings you here? And she said, I killed a six-year-old boy in a drunk driving accident. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, my God like blew my mind. 
I don't, I don't even know what I managed to say. Something like that sucks or I'm sorry or I don't know. I managed to get through the rest of that meeting, but I was so profoundly impacted by this beautiful angel who shared this devastating experience because that is what convinced me to stop drinking. Because it could have been me. I had driven drunk many times in the 80s. It was very popular. People, if you do not know it, like everyone did, I think, or at least everyone in my crew. And um, I just remember bawling my eyes out, driving back to my campus and just making a deal with the powers that be like, hey, I get it. It doesn't have to be me. It could have been me so easy. But because of this generous woman, it won't be me. And that that's when I stopped drinking. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. When I decided to stop drinking, therapy was a big part of my sober toolbox. It wasn't just about saying no to opening a bottle of wine. Once I stopped drinking, I had to deal with everything in my life that alcohol helped me push down. And with my therapist, I was able to better understand how my relationships with my husband and kids, my bosses and friends needed to shift to support my sobriety. If you're thinking of starting therapy as part of your journey, BetterHelp is the way to go. It's all online. It's convenient and flexible. It's tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. Therapy can help you become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday and score 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. Yeah. And you said you had sort of a non-traditional path of getting support in stopping drinking. Because I know back then, 12-step was really the only thing that people knew about and out there. And now there are a lot of other options. Yeah. Well, my that therapist was an expert in addiction. Wow. So she was someone who was really helping me throughout the way. So I really didn't do it in the rooms. And I don't think I did it in a traditional way that 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 other people do it. I know a lot, though, because I've had many, many um, addicts and helped many people get into recovery, of course, over the many years that I've been a yeah. therapist. And one of my, a really close friend of mine is a sober coach who has been so incredibly helpful um, in so many ways, but we share a lot of clients. I send people to her. She's in recovery. Her name is um, Patty Powers. Okay. And she's just wonderful. If anyone needs a sober coach, she does yeah. stuff online. She does a lot of um, psychoeducation for families as well. Like if you love someone who's an addict and you're mm-hmm. like, I have no idea how to support them. I know I'm enabling, but I don't know how to stop. So having someone like that in my life on a regular basis is also very helpful because I have someone I can always talk to besides my own therapist Yeah, if I'm feeling urges or if something is shifting for me. But because I stopped drinking so young, I didn't really have an adult drinking experience, right? I, I, I moved into New York City, but I never was a drinker in New York City, Yeah, right? It, so it was kind of interesting how I just stopped so young. 
I found it. Once it was off the table, it wasn't that hard. But then, of course, there's the transfer of addiction yeah. to food and sweets and exercise. And I mean, please, it, it continues today where like, I don't know about some people think of addiction as, I mean, listen, if you know anything about it, you know that this is an ongoing yes. situation yeah. to be managed and that I'm always aware. Oh my God, I'm so grateful that opioids and all of that stuff was not readily popular when I was still drinking and doing drugs. Yeah. Like, I think I'd be dead. I'm not kidding. Like when I think about that, like that would definitely be what I would be addicted to. And it happens to people so quickly and it's mm -hmm. so devastating that it's something that I really um, am very aware of mm -hmm. in my life and value um, my sobriety, you know? Yeah. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step -step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Well, you know what's interesting, that, and I you described it in a slightly different way that I've heard it, but sort of similar in terms of figuring out what you're trying to avoid. So... I always think about it as, you know, when you're drinking, you have two types of problems. You have the aftermath problems, mm -hmm. which are the hangovers, the headaches, the not remembering, the blackouts, the, you know, talking crap to yourself, all that stuff. Or drunk dialing your boss. Exactly. Like yeah. mm -hmm. leaving your phone in your boss's car because she had to drive you home from a Christmas party. Like, but those go away pretty quickly when you stop drinking. But then there are the underlying problems that you actually have to deal with once you stop your self-sabotaging behavior. And that's what I think of when you said your client was like, 
I don't have to deal with the state of my marriage. Like that's the underlying problem that alcohol is helping you avoid. And is that what you're talking about when you say the shadow or is it something else? Well, when I, when I talk about shadow addictions, I'm really just describing there are shadow addictions because you're probably not getting a DUI. Mm -hmm. People they're in the shadows because others don't see them, but they're still running your life. Yes. They're still running your life. So what you're talking about is the original injuries Mm. is what I would describe it in a psychological way where we are trying to avoid dealing with, or we are trying to soothe the upset from these original injuries. And yet if we never go back to deal with them, if we never, they will come find us, right? What I've seen many, many times is women in particular in their fifties or sixties coming into therapy. And I call it the chickens coming home to roost because there's like only so long that we can outrun it. And we're good. We're good. We're, we're, we're very busy. And that helps you outrun it, right? It's sort of like Mm -hmm. drinking when you're busy, busy, busy. And then you come home and drink and then you're mad at yourself and you're just trying to get through the day. There is no time or mental energy or capacity to deal with all the shit underneath here. Just dealing with the the burning fire of that day. Yeah. And here's the thing. You're also the pyro who's lighting those fires. (laughs) That is true. That is very, very true. You're like, why do I keep getting burned? You're like, put down the matches. Like we're, we're sort of doing that by not dealing. And yet it's one thing at a time. Like you can handle this. Like you're going to be shocked the same way that you can run a business, run a family, run, be a CFO, whatever the thing is that people are doing, run an agency. You can, though that skill set can literally be applied. Once my people who get into my sort of crew in my world mm-hmm. get committed to like, I'm going to deal with this stuff. Listen, it's m- helpful to do it in a group. It's helpful to not, not be alone yeah. in the process, to not feel ashamed. And I think that bringing it out into the light yeah. is so incredibly important because we have nothing to be ashamed about, but you'll never be your fullest expression of yourself because you know, Casey and I know that addicts have secrets. There is a secret room in your brain. If you have an addict mind where, oh, so many things in there, I would never tell anyone I did not even, not even 25 years, 30 years after the fact, you know, where, because we do things we're not proud of when we're not in our right state of mind. And when people say, oh, you know, you tell the truth and you're drunk and all that, I'm like, oh, stop. That is not true at all. Yeah. Like, because you, it gets you, your emotions yeah. all over the place. It exacerbates yeah. everything vulnerability, yeah. Talk about, anger, uh, sadness, victim mindset. Oh my God. Displacing so much aggression. Yes. Right. Ending up in a brawl with your partner about something that, oh God, has nothing to do with them. I used to get in fights and not remember what they were about the next morning and Mm -hmm. also like be angry about something and like lose my train of thought. So I couldn't like justify the emotion I was feeling. I feel you. Well, so how do, how do boundaries function in helping you deal with this, right? The underlying problems, the things you're afraid of. Well, we start with internal boundaries. 
Mm. Because that's the way that you relate to yourself. So before you go into, you know, before you actually try to go into like, oh, I'm going to have this conversation with someone else, this boundary conversation, can't wait. You need to go in. We need to look at internal boundaries. There's how you show up for yourself. Do you keep your word to yourself? Do you treat yourself with the same, like, do you hold yourself in high regard in the same way you do others? Or do you work yourself to death? Do you not rest when you're tired? Do you say yes when you really should say no to something because you don't want to let others down, but you're burnt out and you're not taking care of yourself? All of those things are an indication of disordered internal boundaries. So that's always where we start, is more deeply understanding why am I so self-abandoning? Why is it so much easier to just be like, it's fine, it's not a big deal, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Because here's here's the real major issues, besides the fact that you'll never be fully empowered or fully self-expressed in your life if you don't figure out the boundary thing, because that's really what that's about. But you're also not known in your life because we hold on to all this resentment. Instead of saying the thing to the person, we just put it in that massive file cabinet of you know reason number 7,005 why Bob's an a-hole, rather than having the conversation, or we just do the thing Bob wants us to do so he shuts up, or even if we can shut it down at work. Because what I find with a lot of my therapy clients is that they either, they're over-functioning at work, but they have better boundaries at work. A lot of them seem to be more of a boundary disaster in their personal life, especially romantic relationships, because that seems to be the place where we act out our dysfunction um, from family stuff most readily. I was like the opposite. My husband's like, I'm the only person who you can have boundaries with and tell me no. And at work, you are like a golden retriever killing yourself (laughs) to get the (laughs) pat on the head, you know? Right. That that's common too, right? It's sort of like, so you know how in yoga, they love to say the way you do anything is the way you do everything. I'm like, no, that is not always accurate, especially in respect to mental wellness. And understanding ourselves. You know, I I built all of my work on these five pillars of transformation or self-mastery. So we start with self-awareness. Like what is not working? In the beginning of the book, I have you do a massive list, an okay list and a not okay list. Like what, where are you just overriding your, even your preferences? I'm not even only talking about deal breakers, right? Because if you think about your boundaries, preferences, limits, deal breakers. But most of us don't even think about it. So I have you do an extensive list that is raising self-awareness of like, okay, what isn't working for me? What relationships um, are causing resentment, right? I have you do a resentment inventory. Immediately that will tell you where are the biggest, either the biggest boundary bullies or the people who you have not actually set boundaries with. And we can't really say they're a boundary bully if you thought it, but didn't say it, mm-hmm. right? Because nobody can read your mind. So first pillar of self-awareness, move into self-knowledge, which is when we're sort of going into the basement, I call it, right? Your unconscious mind. And we're like, I'm, I'm asking you all these questions so you can open up these boxes you haven't looked in for a long time. Understanding, self-knowledge, like what happened in your life? So many of my high-functioning women are like, 
I don't want to blame my parents. It happened 30 years ago. Why the hell am I not over it? I'm like, listen, <laughs> it's not about blaming your parents. We can blame them. We cannot blame them. Who cares? It's about if we don't honor your experiences, yeah. you're going to be stuck and you're going to be repeating these patterns. So self-knowledge is two. Three is self-acceptance, where we've, a lot of us have just created stories about our childhoods where we're like, you know, it wasn't that bad. And I know yes. my mother had a terrible thing. I mean, she did way better than her parents did. You know, mm -hmm. we make excuses. I call that the lies we tell ourselves. Because even if those things are true, it does not change that the child within you needs to be acknowledged. Like, wow, especially if you were parent, you know, parentified as a kid, if you were doing adult things, if you were taking care of younger children, whatever, you, that kid in you needs someone to be like, that must have been hard. You did an amazing job. That's like, one wow. of the first things that my therapist said to me because I was like, I don't know why I can't cope. I don't know what's wrong with me. Everyone else can. And there's no reason, you know, like I didn't have any sexual trauma. I didn't have any physical or, you know, emotional abuse mm -hmm. trauma. But, you know, we moved to Africa when I was three and South America when I was five and my parents weren't around and I was raised by housekeepers or whatever it is. And she was like, you didn't get what you needed emotionally regardless if your parents were kind and loving when they were around or whatever right. it is, you know, there's still neglect there, right? There's still a sense of not being important if you're being raised by, except when they're there, right? Then you feel important, but your therapist is right. Because we always look at it like if there's not overt abuse, we're like, what am I complaining about? I had yeah. a roof over my head. That's not what we're talking about. We, most of us have roofs over our heads. But if you really want to understand why you are the way you are, you have to be in that third pillar, which is self-acceptance of yeah. like, hey, if you're a parent, you've already failed your kids. You're going to fail them some more. If you had parents, they failed you. That's it. We're just yeah. human beings doing the best that we can. If you're a parent, get ready to apologize for all the ways that you failed your kids. Don't give them <laughs> any reasons why. Don't explain anything. Just say, hey, I'm sorry for the ways that I failed you. I love you. I hope you do it better. I mean, like. Yeah. We're human beings. I'm always like, no matter what you do, your kid's going to be at therapy and blame their mother, right? <laughs> That's correct. Just, <laughs> just expect it. It's fine. Yes. The fourth pillar is self-compassion. Mm. And that's exactly, you know, Casey, what you were just talking about. Lack of self-compassion in the, what is wrong with me? Like, why can't everyone else got the memo? I like missed the memo of like functioning in life. And your therapist is like, no, you didn't. How about some compassion? about what you experienced and valuing those experiences and just having the same compassion for our young selves and ourselves now as we do for those that we love. Yeah. We've got compassion overload for the rest of the friggin' world. We need to turn that around and have that for ourselves and be kind. Forget that inner mean committee, shut them down. Talk to yourself in the same loving way you would talk to a kid that you adored. Yeah. Stop beating yourself up. Stop saying mean things to yourself. It is so counterproductive. Mm -hmm. So that's the fourth one. And that is the one that I think that people struggle with, women in particular, the most. And then the fifth one is really self-love, self-celebration, which is self-mastery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what 
I mean, I have so much respect for therapists. I think everyone should be in therapy. But she said to me, she, I had a, you know, young daughter. She looks just like me as a kid. And she was like, what if your daughter was having this crushing anxiety or this happening? Or like, I just need to stay at work despite XYZ. What would you say to her? And I was like, well, I would, you know, tell her all these things and take care of her and do all these things. Same thing like that self-compassion. But what if you feel like it's selfish to so many women I talk to are like, well, I can't do X or do Y or take time for myself, you know, and highlighting the company needs X. My kids need Y. I have a mortgage. My husband travels. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. But but the thing is, if we really look at that from what is the cost? Mm. The the fear is I'm being selfish if I take care of myself. The truth is, when you let yourself get burnt out, you end up with autoimmune disorders, you end up bitter, you end up an alcoholic, you end up not at all bringing your best self to all of these people that you claim to be so committed to. Mm-hmm. It's the worst kept secret, by the way. <laughs> Those of you who are still drinking massively, even though you're very crafty, <laughs> the close people in your life know what's going on and you're not. You can't give from an empty bucket. Mm. You simply cannot. And then if you are overgiving, what is that? It's a one-way ticket to Bitterland because that's the only stop on that train. Because even if people are grateful because we're giving from a disordered place, they're not grateful enough. Yeah, We're sacrificing our lives. And even if they're like, thanks, you're like, yeah, I don't even, they didn't really mean it. They didn't realize how hard that was after you're doing something that nobody asked you to do. I see that. And then I also see people giving, 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 and hoping that if they give enough, the other people will meet their needs or take care of them. Or, you know, someone said it to me, like, you want someone else to set the boundary for you. If you just tell them you're about to break, or if you are so giving, you're like bending over backwards, then maybe they'll take care of you. But you know when they'll take care of you so much quicker? If you just tell them what you need. Correct. Yeah. I'd like to make a simple request that on Saturday mornings, you take the kids so I can go to yoga. Yeah. I haven't been taking care of myself. It is really negatively impacting me. And I would love it if you would take that on fully. Saturday morning from eight to noon is you and the kids. And I'm going to yoga and breakfast with my friends. I love that you said that's, you know, take that on fully. Because otherwise, you're almost asking permission each time for like a favor. No, man. As opposed to here's what I need. Yeah. 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 It's it's not. And it's also the taking it on fully has a lot to do with emotional labor. Mm. Because we're such high functioning codependents and overfunctioners that will give someone something to do, but it's still on our list because we're checking, we're seeing if they did it. They're yeah. not doing it in the time frame we want. They're not doing it in the time frame they said they would, or they're not doing a good job. And a lot of times this is like, you know, it's it's either learned helplessness or feigned helplessness where they're like, but you do it so much better because they want all of that emotion labor to be on you. So I'm super clear with people on my team who work for me, my husband, whoever, my assistant. I'm like, listen, it just happened today. She was like, well, why don't you ask Tracy if whatever? I was like, no, why don't you? Because it's your job and you asking me to ask her anything. Now that is bandwidth out from me that I don't 
I'm paying you to use your bandwidth for that. And I said it nicely. I literally just said, please, you do it. Right? Why are you even asking me to do it? But this is very common when you're a person who for a long time has been saying, I got it. Mm -hmm. I got it. From me not letting the cab driver lift my huge bag into the back when I'm going to Europe. Like, why? Why am I not letting the guy get out? I'm like, I got it. Don't worry about it. Not letting someone bag my groceries, just not even letting the people do their jobs. Accepting, asking for help is one of the hardest things when you're a high functioning codependent. Because here's the thing with codependency, though, the last thing I want to say about this, which is very important, this is an overt or a covert bid for control of other people's outcomes. Mm. We're trying to be so helpful to our friend in crisis because her being in crisis is creating chaos inside of us, making us so uncomfortable and so constricted. And we want her to be okay. Mm -hmm. Rather than having faith, like I love my friend, but it's her situation. So mo most people don't think of codependency as an attempt at control. Yeah. But it actually is. If I do it, then there's not going to be a problem. If I get the kids out of here and get them to be quiet, then my partner's not going to explode because they're being too noisy. If I take them in the car and take them for ice cream, so then I don't, all of this over-functioning and not letting the chips fall where they may in life in negatively impacts other people's ability to have relationships too, though, right? Because we're always inserting ourselves yeah. into the middle of other people's situations. Yeah. Even if we're doing it, you know, listen, we're lovers. I'm not saying there's a, we have a negative, uh, intention for doing it. Yeah. But there definitely is a negative impact for doing it. Well, I have a question. What if you're scared of what the chips will look like if they fall where they may? You know what I mean? Of course. But but here's the thing. You're not that fragile, babe. Like you can be scared and do it anyway. You can be scared and step out. You can be scared and excuse yourself. And I'm not saying if you have a partner who's abusive, yeah. leave the kid. Like, obviously, I'm not talking about anything that would impact anyone's safety in that way. But the fear that we have when we're high-functioning codependents and we're doing all the things because we're afraid to let the chips fall where they may is a child's fear. It's not the grown-up us who are running empire. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. But I get into a situation where there's conflict and I immediately want to be like, okay, how can I diffuse this? I don't anymore because it's not my situation. I visualize myself literally. I see myself wanting to grab for it. I just put it in my hand and I put it down on the ground in my mind. And I go, or I put it in a box and then I put it up in the top of a closet where I'm like, that is not my side of the street. I have enough to clean up on my own side of the street. What happens between those two people, they'll have to figure out. I recently had this with one of my, my grown sons separating from his wife. There was different things happening. And he was like, basically wanted me to tell my husband. And I was like, no, man, <laughs> like you, you need to tell your brothers, you need to tell dad, like, I love you. I'm here for you, but it's your story to tell because it's so easy to be, especially when you're the mom, the producer of life of all the things. Right. But that's something that's important. And that is between them. And I want them to have that relationship. I'm like, are you checking up on him, you guys? Are you talking to him? Can't just be me, you know? Yeah. I, as you're saying that, I was like, God, I have a lot of work to do in this area around 
someone very, very close to me being very unhappy in their job. And I want to find them a new job or get them on Prozac or you know what I mean? like, I know. talk to their boss. Like I'm like, fucking stop it. But I just want them not to be unhappy. You know, I know. But but here's the thing. When you get that their unhappiness is making you uncomfortable, it's messing with the peace, the inner peace. Yeah. that you've worked really hard in your life to create by getting sober and therapy and all the things that what really makes sense to do is to step back is to say to them, what do you think you should do? Don't be the receptacle of this toxic complaining about maybe, I, I don't know your situation, but I'm saying in general, people who come to us and talk about the same thing and we have all these great ideas and we have all these resources and we have all these things and sending the YouTube links and the things and the bottom line is when I really started getting healthy, I learned to say, Hey, I'm really, that sounds hard, but I have no doubt you'll figure it out because you're the only one who can. Mm -hmm. And just leaving it, that is letting the chips fall where they may. Because here's the thing I couldn't believe it when my therapist helped me figure this out in my 20s, but I actually didn't know what they should do, even yeah. though I really thought I did. My therapist to my face said, let me ask you something. Why do you think you know what lessons your sister needs to learn in this lifetime? Mm. And I was like, well, she doesn't need to learn it in an abusive relationship. She's like, how do you know that? Uh, how do you know, Tara? She's like, you know why you're so uncomfortable? I was like, because she's in an abusive relationship. She's like, yes. And you've spent 20 years curating internal peace that her dumpster fire of a life is really messing with and you want it to stop. So you want, you want it to be neatly sewn up in a bow, but that's not your job. I was like, well, I can't listen to this. She's like, then step back, draw a boundary, have a conversation, which I did do. And then nine months later, my sister left that relationship and I helped her get out and all those things. But then I'm not the hero of my sister's story. Mm -hmm. She got to be the hero of her story. She wasn't ready to leave when I wanted her to leave. She would have gone back three more times. Yeah. It was me. When I really got that, I was like, oh, it's my internal suffering that that is creating and that I want to stop. Then I could step back, even though I felt guilty. She's like, but it's okay. You can't fix her life. Only she can. And it's just your judgment of her life. Like, keep your eyes on your own paper right now. And I did. And that's hard to do. But when you do, even just changing the dialogue, even just simply saying, what do you think you should do? What does your gut instinct say? Mm -hmm. And if the person's like, I don't know, it's hopeless. And you can say, well, you know, I actually have faith that you're going to figure it out. I really do. I believe in you. Mm -hmm. And then just shut up because the bottom line is all the suggestions in the world that you're going to make, they're not going to take. And if they do and it doesn't work out, they're going to blame you. It's just not our place. It's so it's us inserting ourselves into the middle of someone else's situation. And I was a master at it, Casey. You know, I'm not judging yeah. because of, please. No, I'm getting all life. this free therapy. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I love it. I love Thank it. you. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I could talk to you all day and I think everyone should read your book, Boundary Boss, and take the quiz on your site. I don't know a single woman and I'm sure all the men, but a single woman who doesn't need to do this work 
in some area of their life, especially if you're high achieving. I mean, it's just masked. It's just hidden. So how can people find you, follow you, follow up? Sure. First, I want to tell you about something really exciting that I'm doing that I've never done before that people have asked me to do for many, many years is I'm doing a very small mastermind starting in January. So 12 women. Um, so anyway, that's something to look for. It's called Flourish. I'll be taking applications probably end of October, beginning of November, and then I'll be taking meetings with people. But if that's something that's interesting, it's really for high achieving women <laughs> who either want it to be easier, who are switching careers, who really want the support of other really smart, non-judgmental women who want to do something for themselves. It's only for women. Um, but I'm really, really pumped because I'm such a group girl. Like I just cannot wait to, to yeah. do it. It's going to be for six months. So it starts in January and then it goes for six months. You can find me on Instagram at Terry Cole. I have a um, podcast myself for the past seven years called The Terry Cole Show. Um, I have a group, Women Only, on Facebook called uh, Real Love Revolution with Terry Cole. You can see me in all the places. I have a YouTube channel with 400 free videos about everything in the world you could possibly want to know about. So I put out a ton of content weekly yeah, for people because really my mission is to help as many people as possible while I'm alive on planet Earth. So yeah. that's my commitment that yeah. the, the free stuff I put out is really my commitment so that anyone can transform what's not working in their lives. Yeah. And just if someone's listening, I'll put this all in the show notes, but Terry's name is T-E-R-R-I, last name C-O-L-E. So I want to make sure yeah. folks can find you. Go take the boundary quiz, people. Let I'm me know what you it. get. I'm taking it Boundaryquiz.com. Right Boundaryquiz.com. Super easy. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.